Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm the host of the program, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com physician rating website. The last few weeks, we've been talking about our health care system. We, we spoke to the president of, of the American Medical Association. We spoke to the dean of the School of Population Health at Thomas Jefferson University about what needs to change in our health care system. Today, we're going to talk about saving money on health care. We're going to talk about things we can do today um, without changing our health care system, but things that individuals can do to lower the cost of health care. And to do that, we have our favorite family physician and author, Dr. Cindy Kelker, with us again. Uh, Dr. Kelker, uh, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you back on the show again. Uh, you are the national expert on saving money on health care. I'm so pleased that your, um, the second edition of your book is out, 101 Ways to Save Money on Health Care. I, I know... Um, People are going to want to get access to this book. They can order it from Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, through their local bookstore. It's great that you were able to get um, one of the Penguin Publishing Group, Plume, to publish this book. You must be excited. Uh, yes, and, and I'm so glad that I'm not the only one around looking to save money on health care, that there is a, a major publisher who wanted to help America with the same with the same problem. I think you're probably going to do more than the grandiose legislation did when it comes to, to, to actually the practical aspects of reducing the cost of health care. Well, you know, one of the biggest components of the cost of health care um, is hospitalizations. Uh, we've talked on, on past shows with you about uh, saving money on medicines, uh, on preventive care. But now let's go where the money is. How can people save money on hospitals? The number one way to do it is not to go? Yes. Yes, don't go. And, uh, of course, that's, that starts out with going to the emergency room often. Um, and so you don't want to wait until things are so bad that you need to go to the ER, and you don't want to wait until your doctor's office is closed and go to the ER. And the other thing is um, if you are a reliable patient, your doctor could probably just see you the next day if, if your doctor doesn't even know who you are and you call them up you know at eight o'clock at night and they say oh I sprained my ankle bad I think it's broken well they'll probably say well just go over to the ER but if you approach it a little differently the answer might be well I'll see you in the morning for example your doctor might say well are you walking on it if you're walking on it it's probably not broken and can you come and see me tomorrow and if you're willing to your doctor probably would see you um, and so there are there are things that your doctor can take of take care of, like in the next day or a couple of days, and you could just not go. I 
I have worked in an urgent care, which was like an ER, and people would just come in for what you might say the silliest things or certainly things that could wait. Um, and a lot of that was based on convenience. And, and I would say mostly that was patients who weren't paying anything for the service either. Um, the, the HMOs and the other insurance companies have to sort of wait an ER visit high enough financially to keep people from going because otherwise, you know, it's more convenient to go at 8 o'clock at night. Yeah, but, you know what? I like convenience. <laughs> I like convenient restaurants that have drive through windows. I like convenient oil changes where I don't have to schedule an appointment, where I can just drop in and get it done. There's a lot to be said for um, convenience. Yes. Well, and then, you know, there are urgent care places which are open later in the evening, not 24 hours a day. So that is convenient, um, and it does cost less than an ER. But maybe more than your primary care. But, you know, the cheapest thing might be to have a doctor who knows who you are and call the doctor first and see what they say. You know, we are about to send our son off on on a small international trip, and the night before he started having sore throat symptoms, and I think, you know, normally a sore throat, maybe you can just weigh. He didn't have any fever or anything. I was pretty sure it wasn't strep, but who knows? And if if we hadn't been planning on putting him on a plane the next day, we, we'd have said, well, we, this, this is something that can just wait. But we were about to put him on a plane, send him to relatives, uh, you know, in another country, and thought, you know, before we do, it might not be a bad idea to have his throat cultured for a simple test. Right. And uh, that night we drove by the local urgent care center because, you know, shoot, that's safer than the, you know, safer um, money-wise than, uh, than the, the emergency room. Uh, but unfortunately, we planned it too late and, they, and, and the urgent care center was closed. So we thought, okay. He's going to get on the plane that the next afternoon. Let's go to the urgent care center the next morning. So we, we started out to the urgent care center, and then we thought, wait a minute. We didn't call our pediatrician first. And yeah. sure enough, they had walk-in hours that morning, and they were able to get him in quickly and efficiently at for far less cost than even the uh, urgent care center would have been. Yes. And, you know, one thing you're talking about is the organization of medicine as a whole, that uh, – it would perhaps be ideal if uh, a medical center, say a family practice medical center, were constructed so that there was always a family doctor right there. That would mean somebody of us has to work third shift. Doctors don't like to work third shift, hardly even second shift. Um, uh, but it, it does kind of make sense. Of course, that's what the urgent cares and ERs have turned into. And those doctors also get paid more than family doctors, so I don't know what the answer is there. Except you did, you did a good thing. You called your uh, pediatrician, and uh, yeah, and, then, you, and they helped you out too. The, the one thing I want to quibble with you with is, you know, using that term "our healthcare system" because we, don't, as one of our last guests, previous guests <laughs> pointed out, we we don't really have a system of healthcare yeah. in the United yeah. States. You're right. We 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 really don't, and and I'm about as as far out of the system, well, not as far out as possible, but I'm, I'm a solo doctor in a solo practice, and you just don't see that too much anymore. And I'm not really part of a system. And, and to some degree, you know, I'm a person too, and I have kids too, and I have to live too. So I can't 
really be available every second of my life. But um, my patients, I've been in the same place for 20, 20 years now, they, the, the people who come to see me, that works for them. There are other people who it doesn't work for. Uh, like if, they, if they're working all the time, the same hours I'm working, it just probably wouldn't work for them, in which case they maybe need a different kind of a doctor. But, uh, but uh, you do need to find a doctor who you're comfortable with and who, who you can see. Um, on the other hand, I have my practice made so I can see anybody almost the same day they call, often within a couple hours. So that, that's a trade-off there. All right. One of the, one of the other uh, recommendations you have, very simple, straightforward way to save money on a hospitalization, is to bring your own medicines if you can. You, for example, give the example of paying $5 for an aspirin. And then you go on to say $5 may be an exaggeration. I would have thought mm-hmm. it, the exaggeration is on the low side, that it might be like the, whatever you go to the hospital, if they're going to send somebody from the pharmacy to bring you a pill, there's probably some minimum $35 charge or something so that that aspirin could cost even a whole lot more than $5. I don't know. But. Um, and, and it may. For example, uh, you know, I, I can't. I can't easily find the cost of every single thing, but for example, a breathing treatment using a nebulizer. Well, if you do that at home, it costs about a dollar. If you do it in the hospital, at least our local hospitals cost a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah. So maybe an aspirin costs a hundred dollars too. But 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 you can bring your own medicines, and people don't necessarily know that, um, and it could uh, save a fair amount of money, especially for self-pay patients. Um, and and at least locally, there are some hospitals who are now recommending that their patients do that. Really? I find that fascinating because I would have thought in this litigious environment we live in, hospitals would feel an obligation to control for quality purposes um, and for quality assurance to make absolutely certain the patient got the right medicine that – that the hospital would have would feel the need to provide the medication. Yeah, well, you know, th- there is that aspect too, and I don't know that all hospitals are doing that. But one thing almost every hospital is doing now is having a formulary, and odds are, if you're on a number of medicines, odds are pretty good that they won't even have all your exact medicines. Oh, that's for, a problem. For example, if you're on an, a blood pressure medicine called an ACE inhibitor, they might have one version of that and not another so that you would actually be on a different medicine or the stomach medicines like Prilosec and Nexium if you're in the hospital they might only have a certain kind of that medicine so you might not even be getting the same medicine Um, maybe that's part of it too well I guess bottom line is you can ask yes you can ask and it's certainly better to ask ahead and one thing I'd say is don't take a whole bottle with you. Just take enough for as long as you're going to be there because things get lost in the hospital and you don't want to lose a whole month's worth of uh, medicine in case a bottle gets misplaced. I imagine that a hospitalization would be uh, associated with so many nitpicky little things going on, each of which would be billed, that it would be almost hopelessly complicated to try to go through it. But you suggest that uh, patients should go ahead and get a detailed itemized account of the charges. 
Well, especially if they're paying. I, I had an interesting situation a few years ago where my son went in the hospital just for one night, um, and his bill was $10,000. Wow. Turns out the insurance covered that, and that was before I wrote this book. So I didn't get an itemized bill because, you know, it was, it was the insurance paid it, and so like everybody else, I just let that go. But it seemed excessive for me, $10,000 for one night. And probably the insurance didn't really pay that much because they, they get a discount that people don't really know about. But if you are paying your bill, you should look it over. Uh, you might get charged, like we just said, $100 for a breathing treatment that costs you a dollar. Or you might get charged $30 for an ice bag. Or uh, here's one, oxygen. Uh, to be treated for oxygen in the hospital costs uh, on the order of $100 a day. And how many times have you seen people who are just dangling under their noses, not doing a bit of good, hmm. uh, and you're getting charged $100 a day? It either needs the help or you need to just turn it off and not spend that money. Um, but the hospital will not send you an itemized bill unless you ask. And I compare it to a cell phone bill. You can get your cell phone bill, and, you know, it'll list how many minutes, but it won't list the calls. But you can get those if you ask, and uh, and you also may find some mistakes. And there's also companies now that help people with their itemized bills to go over it and negotiate lower rates. Oh, that sounds like a, a very useful thing to take advantage of. I, I think using these kinds of support services um, can be tremendously valuable. So they just ask it. The patient can just ask at the hospital if they have. Such an uh, such such assistance. Um, you can ask for a patient advocate program, and if they don't have it, you can certainly look it up online. The Mayo Clinic uses uh, Patient Care for You or PatientCareForYou.com, um, and there's others. But you could start by asking at the hospital. Now, I was talking to a hospital administrator the other day uh, about somebody's bill, and um, people. People in general don't understand the concept of DRGs or diagnosis-related groups where a patient goes in the hospital with a particular problem, say they're on Medicare, and they just get paid a certain amount. Like the hospital maybe gets paid, let's just say, $10,000. But if you go in there and you don't have that, you get billed for everything separately, and it will cost probably a lot more, probably twice as much. And what that hospital administrator suggested was that people ask for the Medicare amount, the DRG amount, um, which could be a whole lot lower. Uh-huh. So, so it's, it it, it makes it makes good sense. Ask a hospital for a discount. So the people who are paying directly out of pocket are going to be charged more than the insurance company is because the insurance company has already negotiated a discount, and so. People paying cash, they can negotiate discounts themselves. They can. And and the other thing is you have to kind of figure that the price is, I would use the word, jacked up because it's later discounted. Uh, you know, it's like uh, a furniture store. Every time you go in, it says the furniture is on sale. Well, you know, somewhere the prices are inflated so they can put them on sale. And uh, hospitals are kind of like that, too. So what that amounts to is the self-pay patient. Will pay the most unless they ask for a discount. 
All right. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman. We're speaking today with Dr. Cynthia Kelker, America's expert on ways to save money on healthcare. The second edition of her book, 101 Ways to Save Money on Healthcare, just came out. You can order that book at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, or through your local bookstore. Uh, we're focused today on saving money on hospital expenses. I think asking your hospital for discount is, um, is a great idea. You talked about outpatient observation, being in a hospital without being in a hospital. What's that like? Yes. Uh, if you're not truly admitted to the hospital, the charges will be less. And a lot of hospitals cut that off at 23 hours. Uh, where, the, where you're in the hospital, you feel like you're in the hospital, but you're not officially admitted. And some hospitals are now going up as long as two days where you're really considered an outpatient. So the charges are less. And it, it can give your doctor also the opportunity to decide if you really need to stay in the hospital. For example, if you go in with abdominal pain, is that appendicitis? Is that indigestion? Or what is that? Well, you could get IVs, you could get a few tests run, and they could decide um, after watching you for a while that, no, you, you just had a bad case of the flu, you can go home. Or they can decide, well, yes, it is appendicitis, you need to get your appendix out, we will admit you to the hospital. But uh, it delays uh, incurring the major cost until the exact diagnosis is known. I have to travel for work a fair amount and stay in a lot of hotels, and uh, the hotel tells me the uh, the checkout time, which I guess in hospital lingo would be the discharge time. And I have to be out by noon. If you want to stay an extra hour, two hours, they may charge me a whole other day at the hotel. That's right. Same thing happened in the hospital? Yes. And it, it used to be, uh, at least in our local hospitals, that noon was the checkout time. Now our local hospitals go by midnight. Uh, if you're in a bed... If you're assigned to bed at midnight, you're, you're charged. Um, and so if you know that, you might want to try to get out of the hospital by then. And oh, my. You might want to wait until after midnight to be admitted. <laughs> That's true, too. Um, so you need to find out that ahead of time because everyone could be different. And then I think there are hospitals who go by the exact time, and they certainly could because, you know, everything's computerized, and it could just tell you how many minutes you've been in the hospital. Um, so you wouldn't want to know that ahead of time. To save one day of hospitalization is thousands of dollars. And you could also ask, um, you know, say if you have surgery and you're feeling pretty good and your doctor said you'd be in four days, you could say, well, can I go home in three days? If you're being charged on a diagnosis-related group uh, plan, then what's the difference to you? You might want to stay four days. But if you're paying per day... You might want to go home. You know, there was a time when people had a hernia surgery, and they were in the hospital for a week. Now, at least around here, most people aren't in the hospital even overnight. Oh. Medical science keeps improving. I'm going to – I need to speak to the surgeon about the hernia. All right. Um, <laughs> avoid a dozen different doctors. Yeah, I guess uh, each doctor you see in the hospital, it's going to be more charges. Yes, and, you know, doctors do have an obligation to follow up or at least follow through on things. And uh, so you might go 
in the hospital, say, with chest pain, well, you'll probably see a cardiologist. And if it's not your heart, then you might see a lung doctor, a pulmonologist. And if it's not your lungs, you might see a stomach doctor, a gastroenterologist. And then if it's none of that, you might see a psychiatrist. You might see a surgeon. And then um, you might end up with five doctors while you're there, and they might all make follow-up visits afterwards. And, of course, every time... Every time a doctor sees you in the hospital, there's a charge. And then if they see you afterwards, there's a charge. And, uh, well, I've been in medicine a while, and what I'd say is typical for my patients is if they go in the hospital, they need one doctor to be their main doctor. And around here, it's mostly a hospitalist now, doctor based mainly in the hospital. But then in addition to that, they may need a specialist. But mostly you don't need five different specialists. And you could tell your doctor, you could ask your doctor if they would at least ask you before consulting other doctors. Ask, you know, can, can you take care of it? Or could we do this when I'm um, out of the hospital? Do we have to do it right now? You know, the answer might be yes. We need to save your life. We need to do this. But the answer might be, well, no, we can do that when you go home. That's okay. Um, but if you don't ask, then you have no control over the situation. You know, we talked about how the U.S. medical care system isn't so much of a system. Um, and that means that you may have tests done in a doctor's office and you get admitted to the hospital. And the first thing they want to do is maybe do those same tests on you so that they have the records. Um, you suggest people should just bring their previous tests and uh, maybe avoid having to do duplications. Yes, uh, and some of those tests, aren't too expensive, like, say, a urine culture, and then others are, like an MRI. And if you have any tests done, you can certainly ask your doctor for a copy of the results. Uh, you know, the medical system, I almost use that word again, um, is looking to go to electronic uh, health records, and probably you're using that already since you're hospital-based. Yeah, we true? do. But, but the different hospitals don't use the same records, so they don't. Uh, communicate the, electronically the way you would hope that it would. So I just recommend just getting a, a paper, you know, just a Xerox copy of your test results so you can take it with you. You know, that saves in so many ways. People should have a folder with their medical record and their test results. And um, one of the really nice things about doing that is by getting and looking at your test results, you can make sure your doctor didn't miss something that needed to be followed up on, which, you know, maybe one of the more common reasons uh, there are malpractice cases in the United States. Yeah, it, it definitely helps for the patient to be actively involved in their health care. And uh, also, if you have a copy of your own results, then you might ask about something you didn't completely understand. Um, that's always useful. And it could save uh, a lot of time, not just money, also time, so that if you go in the ER, we know you already had all these tests done. Um, that could, uh, for a self-pay patient, that could save hundreds or thousands of dollars. Sydney, speaking of saving a lot of money, the last thing I wanted to cover with you today about saving money on hospitalizations is... Um, going out of the country for your hospitalization. I think, I don't know if we talked about before about when it comes to, to medications that you can buy, that the medications may be available much less expensive outside the United States than they are here. Similarly, 
um, having some kind of surgery might be much less expensive over in India than it is in the United States. We've we've farmed out a lot of our um, what is it the people who answer phones for companies and uh, you know tech issues to the Indian market because there's well-educated people there who will work for less. And presumably uh, they'll do surgery over there for less too. Is that something you're recommending to patients? I I recommend thinking about it. I'm thinking about it myself in the terms of uh, dental care because uh, dental care is really beyond what a lot of people can pay for. If you don't have insurance and you need a number of crowns, well, that's 5,000 easy right there. Um, whereas you might find it for a tenth as much somewhere else. Actually, my sister-in-law is from Turkey, and she goes over there periodically, and when she goes, she has her dental work done because it's, I think the numbers are about 25% as much. And she can visit her family while she's there and get her teeth fixed, and she's happy, and, uh, well, I would say insurance could be happy, but she doesn't have insurance. But as far as medical uh, costs go, you know, we don't think anything of people coming over here to have surgery. We have the Cleveland Clinic north of here. People come from around the world to go to the Cleveland Clinic. Well, maybe there's something as good as the Cleveland Clinic somewhere else. Now, so far, I have not visited any of these medical tourism sites, so I don't I don't know. I, I believe that there are ways to get um, like a, even a heart bypass done cheaper a lot cheaper, not $100,000 like in America, but maybe $10,000 in uh, India or there are some other locations. But um, it is something to think about. Yeah, it's, 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 it's exciting and scary. <laughs> yeah, and the, the AMA n- noticed that these things were happening. They came up with some guidelines, and, and one of the guidelines was that patients should not be coerced into going overseas to get care just because it's way cheaper. Mm -hmm. And then you also, you have to make sure that your follow-up is going to be adequate. Um, And I think you must need a spirit of adventure too. You know, I'm a little leery about this too, but if I were paying, if I had to pay $100,000 for heart bypass, I, I would think about it. Of course, a lot of those patients, one thing we didn't talk about was that hospitals get funds to pay for uninsured patients too. Now as the health care reform goes along, that that's going to change somewhat. It, it will have to, but uh, for now, if your income is below a certain level, uh, and if you go to a teaching hospital uh, or a public hospital, the, the charges just get absorbed. You end up not even paying for them, depending on your income. Well, for all the concerns we hear about the quality of the healthcare system that we have in the United States, in many ways it is extraordinary healthcare for those who have access to it. It's you have a sense of security um, in it that is hard to pass up to go somewhere else. But I think um, when we look at what happens in other countries. Uh, the news is going to tell us all the bad stuff. You don't hear about the good stuff, and one wonders to what extent uh, people probably are getting great medical care on a regular basis at much lower cost than in some other places. Yeah, I, I don't know. I have a patient who had a, an atrial myxoma, a tumor in her heart. She didn't have any insurance. Her hospital bill was like $200,000. She didn't pay any of it, 
because she doesn't have any money, but she had all, everything taken care of. So what that means is that taxpayers paid for it. But, um, you know, what are you going to do? Tell her tough luck? I guess in some countries that is what happens. Um, well, we don't have all the answers yet. No. Dr. Kelker, were there any other thoughts you wanted to share with us um, from your book, 101 Ways to Save Money on Healthcare? What I, what I would say is everybody can save money on health care, and even with the reform uh, coming to pass, we don't really know yet what that's going to mean, even then everybody can save, whether you have insurance or you don't have insurance. Part of it involves, I'd say, thinking like a doctor, and uh, my book goes into that a lot about how doctors think, and if you think along those lines, you can save money and stay healthy and get, good, get excellent medical care. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Thanks a lot. I so appreciate hearing Dr. Kelker's uh, views on how we can save money. She's so practical. Uh, her book, 101 Ways to Save Money on Healthcare, the second edition, just came out September 2010. Uh, I highly recommend it. You can get it on uh, Amazon.com uh, or through your local bookstore. Well, next week we're going to discuss another very practical um, and important aspect of healthcare uh, uh, patient education. And, and we'll be speaking uh, with Betsy Humphreys. She's Deputy Director of the National Library of Medicine. We're going to focus on the many resources that the National Library of Medicine makes available uh, to patients to better educate them about um, their medical condition and, and the other resources the National Library of Medicine has that contribute to our healthcare system. Well, that's our show for today. Our theme music is by the wonderful Michael Zioli. Uh, until we talk again, I wish you the very best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E dot com, drscore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.